You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. got a question. Have you ever eaten something that you felt with your entire body? You know what I mean. Like you, you, you eat it and then you feel your body inside responding, whether it's for better or for worse. Some of y'all know like, yeah, this could get a little disgusting and we will, but we'll start off on the pleasant side because after all, it is January 16th. We do celebrate MLK this weekend, uh, but we also are recognizing that we're still just a little over two weeks into our resolutions or healthy habits and rhythms that you're trying to build. Maybe you're like me and you're starting off this year saying, man, I want to eat more fruits and vegetables. Maybe you're sticking with that. I want to eat less, less desserts and processed foods. And you're realizing like, man, broccoli and Brussels sprouts just don't taste as good as a spoonful of sugar. But then you're realizing, man, I feel more energized. I feel my body responding to this food and my metabolism is kicking into high gear. Maybe your digestive system is flowing with a little more ease than normal. You say, man, this is, this is good. I miss sugar, but this is actually better for me. But then there's the, the other side on the worst end where you start to realize, man, the foods that you love don't actually love you in return. Maybe you love Taco Bell. Maybe you signed up, you have the app, you get the early exclusive access. So when they said, hey, we got this grilled cheese burrito coming out, you were like, yes, sir, I'm there. Quesarito me up. You love it. Mark knows. (laughs) You love it. But then you realize, too, that you might as well eat it in the bathroom because your digestive turnaround is just too quick. Your body is responding to the food that you eat. And that doesn't even consider allergies or intolerances. For me, in my household, my wife Lauren makes amazing guacamole. And I thought about it, Pastor Robert mentioned a few weeks ago about how Nikki makes some amazing salsa, so we have to have a Carly and Rios family reunion dinner. I'm saying it to everyone to hold us all accountable, but my wife makes great guacamole. She taught me how to make it. The right ratio of avocado and red onion and tomatoes and lime juice and cilantro and the garlic powder and the pink Himalayan sea salt. That's a little free tip for y'all. Don't use regular salt, right? Pink Himalayan, see, there we go. She makes it all up real nice and about five years ago was actually the last time I truly enjoyed it or at least halfway because I ate it. But then I started to feel my stomach responding in a weird way. It was tossing and it was turning. I started to have some chills and some bad indigestion. And then eventually around 3 a.m., I woke up throwing up a sea of green. And she had to like step over it, trying to come to the bathroom, rub my bag. And it was horrible, but it was all signs that my body was rejecting what I had just put inside. See, eating is something that starts with our mouths but progresses to involve our whole body. With our passage this morning, we're going to look at an invitation to eat something that is so wonderful that it will change the course of our lives. We're going to start off looking at John chapter 6, verses 57 through 59. 
I would love for you to turn there with me if you have your body, your uh, physical Bibles, as Pastor Brent and Ms. Carla have emphasized for us to appreciate them while we have them. Or if you're using your device, maybe the YouVersion Bible app, you'll find the notes this morning. But we're looking at verses 57 through 59 for our main text. I'm reading the CSB version, and it reads, Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. You can pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word as we've been abiding in your word and in your presence this week, God. Will you meet us here, Holy Spirit? Give us discernment and wisdom from heaven, not that we be puffed up with knowledge, but that we may see you more clearly and respond in obedient worship for your worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see here in this passage, these brief verses, that Jesus is inviting his audience to feed on him. It's a weird, strange phrase, and maybe you're aware of some of Jesus' other language that would have been jaw-dropping and and crowd-dispersing. Things like, you must be born again to be saved, or you must hate your father and mother in order to follow me. And as Pastor Brent has mentioned over the last couple of weeks, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, or in this case, exactly what he's saying. It's not an accident. He's not misspeaking or poorly putting his words together. He's not doing good things, as Pastor Brent was saying. He doesn't do good and kind gestures just to check it off each day, nor is he making strange statements for the sake of clickbait. He's actually speaking profound truth that his audience didn't understand, but he desires for them to trust him and listen. And so today, our focus with the audience is we're trying to figure out how can someone feed on Jesus? How do we feed on Jesus? Jesus has said that very clearly, but what does that mean for us? At worst, it sounds like cannibalism, or at best, it could be like a metaphor for taking communion, but we need to figure out exactly what does Jesus mean here. And for us to best understand that, we have to recognize that what Jesus was saying here in these three verses is actually part of a larger passage. It's part of a larger passage, and for the sake of our time this morning, we don't have time to go through all 56 verses that preceded, but I do encourage you throughout this week, as you're preparing for Connect Group, to read all of John chapter 6. I hope that you will develop the, the Bible study habit of looking at a passage, but reading it in the context of its surrounding passages. Read it in the context of the surrounding chapters, in the surrounding book that it's found in, because I believe that when we do that, we'll see the mastermind of Jesus as the sovereign son of God who is worthy of our trust and our obedience. So doing that for us this morning, as we quickly summarize, we realize that John wrote his gospel with a single goal in mind. He, as an eyewitness of Jesus, he's writing for his readers to see the character and the nature of Jesus through the signs and the miracles that Jesus performed, and he wants his readers to believe in Jesus. But for that to not be a single decision in their minds, he doesn't want it to end there. He wants them to have life in Jesus' name. And so him recording this this miracle, we see that John opens chapter 6 with the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Maybe you're aware of that. Maybe you're familiar. Maybe you're not. 
But in quick summary, Jesus is on this mountain with his disciples, and then he sees a crowd coming up to hear him teach, and he recognizes that the crowd is hungry. So he takes a few pieces of fish and a few pieces of bread, he blesses it, and multiplies it to be more than enough to feed 5,000 men. That's what the passage says. It's it's 5,000 men in attendance, so that's not even counting the women and children. So Jesus, through this miracle, is actually demonstrating that he, Jesus himself, is more than enough, just like we just sang. And we do. We sing of this truth. We talk about it. It's in our dialogue. We might testify to it, and it can't be overstated, but because we're imperfect followers of Jesus, we can all confess in this moment that this truth is actually underlived in our lives. That is, our lives don't always reflect a faith that Jesus is truly more than enough. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But one detail that I want us to notice, because it was my first time noticing it, and I think it's really important for our, our, uh, the rest of the text, we need to realize that Jesus feeding this, this, or performing this miracle of feeding the 5,000, it actually took place around the time of the Passover in which the Passover was a Jewish holiday that Israel would celebrate and remember correctly what God did for their ancestors in delivering them from Egypt. They will remember everything that encompassed that miracle, that series of miracles. So they will remember how how God spared them from the plagues and how God split the Red Sea for them to walk through or how God protected them and provided for them as they wandered through the, the, the desert on their way to the Promised Land for 40 years. And part of that succession is that they would remember how God provided bread from heaven for their ancestors to eat when they were hungry and without food. We see that. Let's envision the memory in Exodus chapter 16, verses 11 through 16. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. They hadn't seen it before. Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. It's a very distinct Old Testament memory that these Jews in Jesus' presence are remembering. They're, They're celebrating and remembering how God miraculously provided their needs. God made bread fall from heaven. It wasn't from their efforts. They didn't concoct this plan of throwing something up in the sky, some grain, and then saying, hey, by the time that the clouds settle, it's going to come down miraculously and turn into bread. They had no part. It was simply God providing by his grace. And throughout history, God wanted his people to remember correctly that it was he that provided for them, that it was he who protected them, that it was he who delivered them from Egypt. And therefore, they celebrate all of this as part of the Passover. And it's with this memory in mind that the Jews are sitting on this mountain with Jesus and his disciples, and they're experiencing the miracle of Jesus feeding them with very little as he fed the 5,000. They probably felt a little nostalgia, and, and to say the least, they were amazed. They were looking at it saying, man, 
Jesus is doing something that we've never seen before, but that our ancestors experienced. Wouldn't you be amazed? When you look back at your life, as we worship on a Sunday morning, are you remembering what God has done in your life that was so substantial that you're careful to remember it? You share it in your testimony. You bring it up with others because you don't want to forget, but you're encouraged by it, and you believe that that truth, as you testify of who God is and what he's done in your life, that others will be encouraged as well. How has God shown up and showed you that he was more than enough? What chains of sin has he broken? Broken the shackles from your feet to now you can dance like David because you're saying, God, you are worthy because you did this, not I. These are just some examples of ways that we, like Israel, can remember what God has done, who he has been, and who he will always be. Continuing with the story, Jesus, he goes back up the mountain to pray, and it's like his disciples got tired of waiting, so they go down the mountain, they get in a boat, and they move on to the next city. And after some time, Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to go back and, and join my disciples. So he actually walks across the water. I'm telling you, read John chapter 6. You'll be amazed. He walks across the water, finds the boat where they are in. They're afraid and nervous, and he's like, hey, it's me. It's your, your Lord, your rabbi, your teacher, the one who called you. And they trust him, and they let him in the boat, and they together make their way to the next city. But that crowd, that was part of the 5,000. They're still on the mountainside, and they're, they're looking for Jesus. And they're looking for his disciples, and they, they recall, wait a second, the disciples left, but Jesus didn't leave with them. But Jesus is gone. And so they reason, hey, let's just get in our boats and we'll cross to the next city, Capernaum, and we'll join them. And they get there and they find Jesus and they ask him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you get here? And we'll pick up in John 26 and 27 to read Jesus' response. Jesus answers, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus calls a spade a spade. He says, I, I see you looking for me, but you're not looking for me for me. You don't want to be in my presence. You're coming to me because I fed you and you're hungry again. You're coming to me wanting some more bread. You're, you're longing to be fed. And Jesus is saying, listen, I have a different bread to offer you. And it's going to satisfy other needs that are actually much greater than your hunger that you're feeling physically. He's saying, Moses gave you bread, but it isn't the true bread from heaven. Actually, the true bread from heaven, God's bread is a person, the one that God sends from heaven who gives life to this world. And Jesus is saying, I am he. They came to Jesus with longings for him to meet their temporal needs, and he was telling them that he is more than enough, and they should seek him for more than just bread of his hand because he is the true bread from heaven. What longings do you have? What are you hungry for? What is your heart and soul thirsting for this morning? Are you in a desert drought where, like Israel, you're needing bread from heaven? 
Were you worshiping, singing, you move mountains, God, and I need you to move a mountain in my life right now? Are you singing gyra, saying, God, I need your provision? Whatever your heart is longing for, we have this capacity and opportunity to come to Jesus for our needs to be met. And we recognize that we share that similarity with the Jews. As they were expecting more bread, they had their longings for Jesus to provide their needs, but they approached him as a teacher and a miracle worker, but they didn't approach him as Savior and as Lord. They wanted to be filled with Jesus' stuff, and they had longings for Jesus to provide, but they weren't longing for Jesus himself. So because we can relate to the Jews in that, we must recognize that we're not immune from that place that also says, God, I don't want you. I just want your stuff. I don't want your heart. I want your hand. Provide for me. But we have this opportunity to trust God and surrender, just as we did for the last week as we've been fasting. Like Pastor Brent said, his livid week or weekly email out this week for the livid episode is saying that the importance of fasting, it's an opportunity for us to lay down things that are important to us, things that are, are necessary, and we lay them down at the crown of Jesus' feet, or, or as a crown, lay down our crowns at Jesus' feet saying, God, I know that I need food. I, I know that I enjoy social media. I know that I, I love Netflix, but although they're important to me, they're not more important than you. So fill those empty spots, Jesus. We do that for a week, but we have the opportunity to live that as a lifestyle. So over the next few verses, we see Jesus clarifying even more that he is the bread of heaven. In verses 35 through 40, he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to eat or come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those that the Father has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? The Jews are confused, and they're frustrated because... Jesus is saying, look, I see what you want from me, but I'm trying to provide a greater need that you're not even aware that you have. Jesus is making this audacious claim that he's the bread of life, which implies that they need to eat him. He said it very plainly, feed on me. So the Jews, being in that crowd, if you could put yourself in their shoes, imagine this, this, this paraphrase. Jesus, we need more bread. I know, I'm the bread. You're sitting there like, you, you must be delusional and insane, or the opposite must be true. Maybe you are divine and you are wise to such a degree that you're calling us up from our place of what we're used to and saying that you have the capacity to provide a greater need and the compassion 
to offer yourself to satisfy that need. They want physical bread, but Jesus is saying, I have nourishment and sustenance that will exceed your imaginations and your experience. That is who Jesus is. But for the Jews of this time, because they don't understand, they can't wrap their brains around it, we got to be mindful, too, of Mosaic law, which would have meant that the Jews would have been hearing Jesus' words and saying, you're telling us to eat you, and that is cannibalism. You, you want us to eat of your flesh, and that will make us ceremonially unclean. They would have been offended by Jesus' instruction. They would have been sitting there taking a bag, like, well, what are you telling us to do? But Jesus, with his jaw-dropping statement, gets even more explicit in what he means. Verse 43, he says, he, Jesus answered them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. At that, the Jews argued among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like manna your ancestors ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. It's now that we see how those three verses that we started with are actually a continuation of the dialogue and the interactions that Jesus had at the start of John chapter 6. We can see it coming together now, that Jesus is clarifying that eating his flesh, drinking his blood, feeding on him, means to believe in him. It means to believe in him. Jesus is saying this belief should not be empty. It's not a singular thought. It's not your decision to trust me as Lord and Savior, and then you're saved, and it's like, oh, all right, whatever. No, he's saying believing in me will progress and it will impact your whole body as feeding does because now by nourishment and you feeling satiated from the truth of who I am and my word, you abiding in me, will radiate out throughout the rest of your lives. Think about your normal eating habits. Eating is active. It's not passive. Oh, would I love it if I just walked around and said, ugh. I almost choked. A cookie appeared in my mouth just when I wanted it. But that, that's not life. It's not passive. Even the eating motion, we have to actively decide to place food in our mouths. We must chew 
and break down its contents. And we recognize that it requires intentional effort just to consume, but that doesn't even consider what we choose to eat. That we can choose the healthy options or the unhealthy options. So Jesus calling us to feed on him is saying, what you're used to, yet I got you by. But this will take you into eternity. As we mentioned earlier, some of us are trying to build healthy habits and rhythms, eating more fruits and vegetables, less processed foods. We're choosing to eat healthier. Jesus is saying, I am a different food source. I, the bread of heaven, uh, you can parallel it to the the manna that your ancestors ate, but you got to contrast it and look at the stark differences. That they ate that bread and died, I'm telling you that I'm the bread that will give you eternal life. They ate that bread and felt uh, temporarily satisfied, just like you did just last night, but now you're coming back to me for more. And I'm saying, you don't just come back for what I can offer you from my hands, come back and feed on me and be fully satisfied. Food provides us nourishment. Jesus is saying, if you feed on me, you'll have the fullness of life and you will never hunger or thirst again. Doesn't mean that you won't need to eat. He's saying, I will satisfy like nothing else. Think about all the ways that food impacts your whole body. The ways that we surround our days with it so that we can not just live, but thrive. When we personalize this, remembering our own longings, like the Jews who who had longings for more bread, more provision, we gotta consider for ourselves, what provision are we expecting? What is our soul hungry for? And an equally important question, where are we going for that nourishment? When your soul is thirsty and you feel like the heat of your circumstances reflect the hottest summer that you've ever experienced, where do you run to quench your thirst? When your circumstances leave you wanting and you're you're starving to be seen, you feel an absence of love and comfort, what bread do you run to hoping for nourishment? What are you ingesting, hoping to feel satisfied and satiated? When you are the most stressed and overwhelmed, what do you embrace? thinking that it'll comfort you and make the long day at least a little worth it. Hoping it'll settle your nerves. Is it social media? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it food? Is it pornography? Is it relationships? Are you running to the created things saying, hey, I need you to nourish me instead of running to Jesus? Are you poorly embodying the faith that Jesus is more than enough? As followers of Jesus, we must choose to trust that he is true and that he is right when he said that those who feed on him will never hunger or thirst. It must be active. It must be an active thought and consideration and reflection of our hearts' lives saying, God, I'm hungry, but you said I'll never hunger and thirst again, but I'm hungry because I've been going over here, but I should be falling in your presence. I should be seeking you. For Jesus to be able to feed the 5,000, that was just a demonstration of the lesson that he was teaching by mouth, showing that if he was more than enough to feed 5,000 from a few pieces of fish and bread, imagine what he can do throughout your life when you're feeding on him. 
I think it's safe to say that COVID has exposed us in more ways than one. And one way in particular that the Carly household was exposed was in regard to our kitchen pantry, where a couple years ago in 2020, early on, I remember like feeling like, man, I, I just don't feel right going to Izumi trying to enjoy the, the sushi buffet anymore. I need to eat more at home. Plus, DoorDash and Uber Eats is expensive. They do that upcharge, so Five Guys wasn't just, you know, $12 anymore. And so I was like, man, we need to eat home. And so I remember going into our pantry and realizing, like, man, this thing is pretty full. We we got some good options here. And so one morning, I go in this pantry, and I'm reaching for the best cereal on earth, Apple Jacks. (laughs) And I grab that box. And as I'm about to grab my bowl to start pouring, I, I realize I don't remember buying this Apple Jacks. <laughs> and so I look and turn it over and I look at the expiration date to find that it expired two years ago. <laughs> yeah. And I did what anyone would do, right? Poured a little extra milk so it could get a little soggy. <laughs> no, that, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. It ain't that good. But I discarded it, I put, put it in the trash and then I grabbed the second best cereal, Crunchberry, Captain Crunch. And I'm like, wait, let me check this time. And I find that it too had expired a year ago. And I'm looking at him like, man, this is, this is pretty bad. So then my curiosity started to, to grow and my hunger started to fade, where now I'm just looking like, man, how much stuff in this full pantry is actually fresh? How much of it can I actually eat? And so I'm going through checking, rice expired, lentils, beans, my pasta, and I'm just throwing so much stuff away to where when I finally finished, the trash can was full, but my pantry was near empty. And now, by that point, I'm realizing, man, I could technically eat all of this stuff, but stale food doesn't satisfy. Moldy food just leaves you malnourished. It doesn't have the nutrients anymore. You don't want to eat that potato with all the spores growing out where it looks like it's about to grow another potato. You, you throw it out. <laughs> and in the same way, we can fill ourselves up with the things of this world when we're hungry, when we're feeling needy, when our souls are, are so discouraged and we feel unseen, we feel unloved, we feel unvalued. We can run to social media, post a quick outfit of the day, hoping we get the likes running up but it won't actually satisfy. We can run to that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend hoping that we'll feel needed and appreciated again, but it's not Jesus. See, to feed on Jesus is to believe Jesus will satisfy the longings of this life and the next. It means that we build our lives around him, that we go about each day with Jesus in the center in such a way that we obey him and that the decisions that we make and the motives with which we make them are all centered around who he is and what his word says. Think about how much your life orients around food. You eat three meals a day. You have snacks in between. You have weekly grocery trips. You fellowship around the dinner table. It's a rhythm of your daily life because we know that we need it. And we choose to feed on things that we delight in and that we enjoy. Imagine if we took Jesus' invitation to feed on him and pursued him with that level of commitment. That we ran to him when we wanted a snack. 
that we ran to him with delight, saying, I, I, I know how much I need you. Remembering correctly is not just remembering what God has done, it's remembering our state of depravity, that, that we are, are lost without Jesus. That on our best days, the Holy Spirit is still at war with our sinful nature. And that we desire the, the lustful things, the debauchery, so much that it makes the word of God call out to us saying, think of things that are above. Set your mind on things that are pure and of heaven. All that God calls us to in scripture is the antithesis of what our sinful nature wants and craves for. It's the opposite of what the world offers us and that we so easily run to hoping that it'll feed us and satisfy. Remember we said that food begins with our mouth but impacts our whole body. So if we think of it this way, when we feed on Jesus, it begins with our mouth. It begins with our ingestion of the word as we read it, as we confess scripture, as we pray scripture, as we sit in silence, as we seek God's presence. And it's studying the word and letting the word search us. It's gripping the blade of the sword. That was one of our, our days in the devotion, right? The word is a sword. We, we grip that blade, knowing it's double-edged, and say, pierce me. I don't read this to try to look and say, this is how I'm like Jesus. I look and say, no, I'm the Jews in this passage. Jesus, you're the perfect one. And I need you to transform me by the renewing of my mind. Make me look more like you. That's how we chew the word. And it's not just reading. Part of the eating process is digestion. Our mouths are done, but it impacts our whole body. And it is this processing through. We, we, we look and we say, God, how do we apply this to my life? I don't want to just read it and then close my Bible. Like the other day, saying the, with the passage in James. We don't want to be just a reader of the word. We want to be a doer of the word. We don't want to just look in the mirror and forget the state of our depravity and walk away thinking that we're like Jesus. We want to look in the mirror and say, God, I need you again and again and again. We digest and we reap the benefits of the food that we eat as it impacts our body, providing us energy. And this happens as we put into practice what we read. We believe Jesus with such a faith that says, I will keep running back to you because I know that you satisfy. I know that I won't be hungry when I leave your table. I know that you will, will satiate and, and nourish me in a way where I can feel the impacts in my body and I can go out with confident faith, with the boldness from heaven that says, I will trust my God. I will not be ashamed of the gospel. I will live out what your word calls me to because you're worth it. You feel me. We believe his word to be true and that causes us to run back to him even when we don't feel like it, even when we have doubts. We say, yeah, but this is what you said. Tony Evans says, unbelief for the believer is the refusal to act like God is telling the truth. You might take a bite, but you spit it out before it has a chance to progress into your body and impact your life. So this morning, what would it look like for you to feed on Jesus and feel the impacts of his nourishment in the area of your relationships? What does it look like for you to feed on Jesus and be satiated throughout your life, in the areas that you're struggling, when you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed? 
What does it look like to feed on Jesus and feel the impacts of his nourishment and sustenance in your body in the area of your finances? It means you chew on his word. You understand what it says. You pray and ask God to to enlighten you, illuminate his word in a way that your brain and your mind can understand it, but your heart receives it so that when we sing, write your word on the tablet of my heart, we can live it out. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus this morning who's right now confessing that you're not feeding on him. I I had that revelation. Me and Jonathan, we were praying on Wednesday night before youth, and I confessed it. I said, man, I I thought I was. I I thought I was feeding on Jesus. I have my my rhythm of getting in the word, but man, I feel God calling me up to so much more. And it's not just a matter of time. It's not a a, a number that says, man, I was spending 10 minutes in the word, but now I'm going to spend 15. My kids get in the way of that sometimes. But it's the heart posture that pursues and says, I want more of you. I need more of you. You may have heard it said that if you have time for breakfast, you have time to get in God's word. That is the heart posture that says, Jesus, I want you. Even though my fast is finished, I will lay down everything of importance because I believe that you are more than enough. I will set it aside. Or maybe you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You have not tasted and seen that he is good. You need to know this bread of heaven that gives eternal life, satisfying you in this lifetime and for eternity ahead. John 6 closes with many of Jesus' disciples, not the 12, but a lot of the the crowd, the 5,000 that left, left the mountainside trying to follow him, A lot of that crowd walked away saying, you want us to feed on you? That's too much. That's too much. Remember John's goal. He wrote that you would believe and have life. Those people said, nah, not that much. Right now, as we pray, you have that same choice. Jesus, will I trust you and feed on you? Will I believe that you are divine and wise, that you are omniscient, and that you know the needs of my heart to where, yes, I will come to you saying, God, I need you to move my mountain. God, I need you to provide because you're Jehovah Jireh. But even if you don't, I will still trust you. I will still trust you. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.